Please do take a seat. Let's just pray. Father, we do praise you, uh, holy God, three in one. And we, Father, we praise you that you have made yourself known to us. Uh, We couldn't have come to know you any other way than you taking that initiative uh, in revealing yourself and in saving us. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us soft hearts now as we uh, listen to you speak to us in your words. Uh, Give me the right words uh, to say that are in line with what you have spoken and are speaking to us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Great, uh, my name's James. I'm the curate here. Um, It's good to be back with you this Sunday. I was away last Sunday at my final uh, curate's training weekend, which was good and also difficult in some ways. You can ask me about that afterwards if you want to, Uh, but it's really good to be back. I missed you um, all last week. Uh, We do miss gathering with you. Um, Just to say, there's nothing on the screen for this uh, sermon, but I do have um, a little handout. Uh, If you you find that useful, it's useful just to follow along uh, with some of the headings uh, that we'll be going through. Um, we're, We're in the same passage as was read, Matthew 11. So again, if you want to have that open in your Bibles as we go through, that won't be appearing on the screen. So if you want your Bibles open, it's uh, page 976, and we're going to be working through roughly verse by verse. So I'm aware that uh, we're not all from the same culture here, but generally I think you might all be aware of um, some sayings that we do have in our culture, uh, which are kind of around how what we do uh, and our actions um, give a truer representation of um, who we are and what we're really like. Uh, So you might recognize some of these sayings. You can complete them with me if you want to. So actions speak louder than words. What was that? I'm not not coming to you again. Uh, If you you talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. Um, Or because we recognize that all too often um, our actions... Uh, don't match uh, the words we speak. Uh, Those of you with children or work with children uh, will know that sometimes you might say this, uh, do what I say and not what I do. (laughs) Uh, So we know that what we do, our actions, they say a lot about um, who we are. And this is true uh, with the Lord Jesus as well. Um, He says a lot about who he is by his deeds, um, his miracles. But of course, with Jesus, um, his words always do match uh, his actions perfectly. Uh, So that Jesus can say both. He can say, do as I say and do as I do. Both his words um, and his actions, um, they work together to kind of prove and show us who he really is. Often it's that his deeds, his miracles, they prove his words about himself to be true. So you might remember back in, we, did it, we were in Matthew a few months ago, back in chapter 9. Um, can you remember how it was that Jesus proved that he had the authority to speak words of forgiveness to the paralyzed man? Well, he proved it by healing him completely. He spoke the word of forgiveness, proved that he had that authority to forgive by his miraculous healing of the paralyzed man. So both come together, words and works of Jesus, to show us who he really was. Um, You also get Jesus, don't you, constantly uh, predicting his own death um, and resurrection 
uh, in the Gospels. And of course, he proves those words true, doesn't he? Uh, by doing both, by rising from the dead after he has died. But it's even more than that, because Jesus also proves um, God's word true in the Old Testament. Um, so remember, it was Jesus' deeds last week that prompted John the Baptist um, to ask that question. Well, well, is he the promised one? Is he really the Messiah, or should we expect someone else to come? And Jesus answers by pointing to his deeds, to his miracles. But they're not random miracles or works. They were all foretold by God in the Old Testament, uh, in the prophecy of Isaiah, as Paul was preaching to us last week. Jesus is showing categorically he really is the promised one. Uh, He is the one that they've been waiting for, for thousands of years. And yet, despite all of this, Jesus is so often met by unbelief, isn't he? Uh, Sometimes people express that in indifference, but increasingly in the gospel, you see expressed in hostility uh, and anger uh, towards Jesus. As we heard last week, I think it's really helpful what Paul was saying, that, that Jesus refuses to dance to the tune that the people play. Uh, He confounds expectations. He won't be squashed into the box that we like to try and make for him. And Jesus isn't surprised by this hostile response. He's predicted it both for himself and his disciples back in chapter 10. And actually, at the end of this little section in Matthew in chapter 13, um, he explains it. He explains these differing responses, uh, especially in the parable of the sower. But nonetheless, Jesus uh, reveals himself uh, in miraculous works and his words. And the response that he expects is not hostility, but repentance. That's our uh, verses today, uh, chapter 11, verse 20. And it's the first point uh, on your handout. Jesus reveals himself in miracles and expects repentance. Verse 20, I'll just read it out for you. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed. Why? Because they did not repent. So the towns uh, that Jesus is about to denounce, they're the ones that had a great deal of privilege in being the very places where Jesus did most of his miracles, uh, revealing himself uh, through his works and his words. They show that he really is uh, the promised Christ. He's the one they've been waiting for. And yet they've refused um, to repent. The consistent message, hasn't it, has been from John the Baptist and then from Jesus. The consistent message has been repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And actually, if you remember back in verse 6 of chapter 11 last week, after Jesus has answered John the Baptist... Uh, He says this, he says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. These people in these towns, when coming face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, have taken offense at him rather than repent. They've not believed, they've stumbled over Jesus in unbelief. And actually again, At the end of this section, it's worth reading right to the end of chapter 13 because that really kind of looms large on everything we see in these chapters. That's how chapter 13 ends, with Jesus back in his hometown, preaching in a synagogue, 
People are amazed at both his words, his wise words, but also his miraculous signs and wonders. But what do they do? They take offense. That's the same response uh, that we see at the end. And Jesus then um, stops his miracles in his hometown. Uh, He stops his self-revelation because of their unbelief. So as we kind of move through this section of Matthew, it's worth asking ourselves um, that question, uh, what is my ongoing response to Jesus as I meet him in his words? Uh, Even when he does and says things that challenge my expectations, when he refuses to dance to the tune that I'm playing uh, for him, um, how do I respond? Uh, Will I continue in faith, but also in repentance? Or am I tempted to close off and shut down because I'm offended by him? Uh, Nowadays, if someone offends us, uh, we just cancel them, don't we? Or unfollow them on social media. And at times, um, Jesus, he will seem offensive. He'll grate um, with what we expect. But what are we going to do? Cancel him? Or continue to follow him and repent? And the reason why that is so vital is because repentance and faith uh, for the Christian are ongoing things, aren't they? They're daily decisions that we make. And and Jesus warns us, as he warns these um, towns, he warns us what will happen um, if we refuse to repent. And that's the next thing to note, really. Uh, This is verses 21 to 24 on your handouts. And it's this, is that greater revelation without repentance brings greater judgment. So greater revelation from Jesus without repentance uh, brings greater judgment in the end. If you remember from last week as well, Paul was uh, saying about Jesus's answer again to John the Baptist. Uh, uh, It showed that actually Jesus was ushering in this time of mercy and invitation rather than judgment. Uh, John the Baptist, he expected judgment to come straight away with the Messiah. But Jesus is saying, no, that's delayed until that final day. And we were going to finish this passage today with some of my favorite verses. Um, God's trying to teach me something. I'm going to end up preaching on them about five times in the space of a year. Um, It's Jesus' merciful, wonderful invitation to come. Uh, All those who are weary, uh, come to Jesus for rest. And yet, although judgment is delayed... Jesus is saying here that it is still certain. See, as Jesus denounces these towns, he exposes the the pride uh, and unrepentance um, of these towns uh, by by showing them, by talking to them about the worst kind of Gentile towns uh, like Tyre and Sidon and even Sodom. Uh, These were places that um, any Israelite would associate with complete rejection of God and immorality. Uh, places of immorality and pride. But Jesus is saying something really shocking here. He's saying that places like Capernaum, who've had the privilege of Jesus revealing himself in his works and his miracles, and yet have refused to repent, well, they'll have a really even worse experience of judgment on that final day uh, than these towns that he's mentioned that are well, well known for their immor- immorality. I'll just read those verses, verses 23 to 24. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? There's the pride. No, you will go down to Hades. 
For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Shocking things to hear. Sodom's the archetypal bad guy in the Old Testament. Uh, Tyre and Sidon, they've got a whole chapter in Isaiah of, of prophecy against them. And yet, says Jesus, final judgment uh, for them will be more bearable than these towns um, who've enjoyed such privilege in having Jesus reveal himself to them um, in his words and his works. As you know, I love running um, Christianity Explore courses. We've got another one starting again after Easter. Actually, we've got one ongoing actually on Wednesday mornings uh, with the women's Bible study, which has been going really well. But one of the questions that often comes up in those courses is, is something like this. It's a good question. Uh, people want to ask, well, what about those people who've never heard of Jesus? When they're thinking about God's judgment, well, what about those that have, have never heard? And it does seem from these verses, I've never answered that question from these verses, but, but actually I might go there in the future. It does seem that God um, does take into account how much revelation people have had of Jesus on that day of final judgment. Uh, in some way, I don't know how that works, but it, but it does seem that it will be weighed in some way, depending on how much you've heard about Jesus. But of course, the, the flip side to that is that accessibility to the gospel, hearing about Jesus lots, well, that increases the severity of judgment. Uh, greater, judge, greater revelation about Jesus uh, without repentance leads to greater judgment. And it's worth noting, isn't it, just the huge privilege we have, at least here in the West, of access to God's word in the Bible. So many translations, so many resources online. Um, How are we responding to that privilege that we have here? And in trying to give an answer to that question that comes up on Christianity Explored, what about those who have never heard, um, at some point, I do want to gently point out to the person that they themselves are hearing the gospel now in this moment. Uh, They are receiving that opportunity. Uh, So what will be their response? As you're hearing about Jesus, um, not just now, but in all, all of the service this morning, what is your response to him? Uh, Jesus' warning to us is don't, don't be like those towns that refused to repent and so kind of confirmed themselves in the path that leads to judgment. Instead, respond in repentance and faith. But also, I think these, these responses that we see in those towns, they could raise a question for us um, about Jesus in terms of his power and his success in ministry. I think that's something that this section in Matthew's gospel is addressing because actually uh, Jesus had a purpose, didn't he? And maybe he's failed to achieve it. Uh, We know with political parties at the beginning of an election campaign, they publish their manifesto, don't they? Um, And state what they're going to do if they're elected to government. Uh, And usually, as you know, what happens is after a term in government, the opposition party is throwing this at the, uh, at the government and saying, well, you've failed, completely failed to deliver on your manifesto. So has Jesus failed to deliver? Uh, his manifesto, if you like, we've already heard it, was repent. 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But the problem is many are not repenting at all. They're refusing. So is Jesus impotent? can Can he not actually rescue as he says he's come to do? Well, far from kind of panic at their response uh, and sort of rein back his message a little bit, uh, Jesus responds in prayer, a prayer of praise um, to God the Father. And he praises because he knows that God, the Lord of heaven and earth, is pleased both to hide and to reveal. This is point three on your handouts, verses 25 to 26. The Lord is pleased both to hide and reveal. And what an amazing uh, window these verses are into uh, that unique relationship between the first and second members of the Trinity. Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father. He praises him. But he doesn't just call him um, Father, does he? He, he? Verse 25, he calls him Lord of heaven and earth. See, even in praying this way, Jesus is revealing something about God the Father um, to us. And you'll remember earlier in the gospel when uh, God the Father rips open the heavens at Jesus' baptism and declares, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is a relationship where God the Father and God the Son uh, are devoted to one another in bringing the other glory, praising each other, making each other known. And of course, the Holy Spirit uh, is there too. But the point seems to be that as Jesus sees the likes of Capernaum and Bethsaida refusing to repent, he, he knows this isn't outside of the will of God the Father, but it's still somehow within God's will. Verse 26, Jesus praises him because God is pleased to do it this way. God is freely choosing who he reveals himself to and who he hides his truth from. Jesus, uh, doesn't he, in these verses, he praises God that he's hidden this revelation from those who are wise uh, in the eyes of the world. Perhaps those whose wisdom has led to pride, like with um, Capernaum. Uh, God's shown that even the sharpest of intellects uh, cannot understand him on their own. No one by their own wisdom or will can work him out. Instead, God is pleased to reveal himself to those that are quite unimportant, dependent little children, as he calls it. You've hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. And that doesn't mean that they're any more deserving of God's revelation. Um, They're no more deserving than anyone else. Uh, Like all of us, as you read um, in the Gospels, the disciples uh, clearly struggle with their own pride and self-interest, even as they seek to follow Jesus. But God graciously uh, revealed the truth of Jesus to them, and indeed to us. God is free to to reveal himself uh, to whom he wishes. It reminded me of his declaration to Moses in the Old Testament. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And I realize that's not always easy for us to accept. And maybe that is, this is one of those places where uh, we want God or Jesus to kind of dance to our tune. Uh, where, but when he asks us to humbly 
listen to his. Um, He's the Lord of heaven and earth. We're not. And the starting point is, uh, the gospel, starting point of the gospel is sin. Is that we all deserve um, judgment for our sin. And it's only because of God's love and mercy that any of us, that he chooses any of us um, to receive his revelation of himself and to save us from sin. Again, I keep mentioning chapter 13. Do go away and read this whole section, but you see it working that way in the parables where God's word works both to to harden people and kind of confirm them in their rejection of him, but also wonderfully his word works to soften and to save. And of course, Jesus isn't just praising God for hiding, but he's praising him for revealing. He rejoices that uh, God the Father has made him known to these first disciples And in time, we'll explode that into all the nations um, of the whole world, as we've seen in our day. We're building, we're almost there to Jesus' amazing invitation at the end. Uh, But let's just uh, see some more of why it's only Jesus um, that can make that kind of invitation. This is verse 27 now, uh, point four on on, on your handouts. Verse 27, Jesus has authority to reveal the Father to whom he chooses. Now, as Jesus continues his prayer, his public prayer to um, God the Father, he shows us that this authority to reveal and to save has been handed over to him uh, from God the Father. It sounds very much like the end of the gospel um, in chapter 28, where uh, Jesus says to his disciples, all authority uh, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. As the Son of God, Jesus, he too, isn't he, is is the Lord of heaven and earth. And it's because of this unique relationship that Jesus has uh, with God the Father that he's the only one qualified to reveal uh, the Father to us. Verse 27, he says, no one knows the Father except the Son. So only Jesus can reveal God to whom he chooses. Again, none of us can do that by ourselves. We're completely dependent on him. By the way, that's often part of the answer to another question that often comes up uh, in Christianity Explore courses. Um, that's the kind of, don't all religions lead to God? Well, Jesus here, he says no, because only he can reveal God the Father, because Jesus is God and he knows God perfectly. Those verses in Hebrews 1, Jesus the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Only Jesus can reveal God the Father to us and bring us to the Father through his death and resurrection. You all know those famous verses from John's Gospel. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is the only way. And then finally we get to Jesus' invitation. Verses 28 to 30. Come to Jesus for rest for your soul. And I've uh, preached these verses before, just those two verses. Actually, it's been really helpful for me to put them in the context because um, as you see this Jesus with all this power and all this sovereignty, that it's him that issues um, this call to come, that really makes a difference. Verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, 
all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, if the verses before that sounded a bit like Jesus' revelation would be restricted or, or limited to just to a few in some way, well, this invitation blows it out of the water because Jesus says, come to me all, all of you. This is for everyone. Uh, this is the most uh, amazing offer we could, could have, the amazing call to all of us who live in this weary world. A call to people like us um, who are weary. Are you weary? I am. I'm weary. Whether you're weary because of worry, worry about what people think, worry about the Church of England, uh, weary because of worries at work, weary because of worries about money, weary because of sickness, weary because of grief, weary because of suffering, weary because of loneliness, but ultimately, weary because of sin. See, that's the unseen heavy load uh, that the world carries around. And it causes more weariness, I think, than anything else. That nagging feeling of guilt, uh, the, the knowledge that I fail to meet my own standards, let alone the ones that God sets for me and the way that he wants me to live. My pride and independence and rejection of God, my creator. But Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. In other words, Jesus says, let me take that burden from you, from your shoulders. That's why Jesus went to the cross to, to bear our burden of sin himself, so that we need bear it no more. If you've come to Jesus already, then um, our fear of that final day of judgment that Jesus has been warning about, well, we need have no fear of that. Because Jesus has completely borne all of our sin in his body on the cross, placing us in right relationship with God, our heavenly Father. That's what Jesus means by rest, I think. Rest is relationship. Relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're invited into that relationship of love for all eternity. But do you notice as well that coming to Jesus does involve submission? It does involve listening to him and learning from him and following. See, as we give Jesus our burden of sin to him, well, we do take his yoke uh, upon us and learn from him. That's what he asks us to do. Uh, the yoke there, it's a, it's a metaphor for a few things. It's used in farming to, to kind of put over the animals as they plow. But it's also a human yoke that you carry something on your shoulders. And often in the Bible, it's, it's used to speak about being a, a servant to a, to a conquering power, being under the yoke of um, a conquering power. Uh, there's another use as well. And I think I'll leave that for next week because I'm preaching again next week. But it could sound quite unattractive, couldn't it? You know, putting Jesus' yoke on you. But actually, Jesus' one yoke is, is one where we sit and we learn from him. He says at the end, it's his burden, his yoke is light and easy. It's where we declare that Jesus to be the new authority in our lives and not ourselves. That's actually really freeing. 
This is repentance, isn't it? This is what Jesus is being called for. And it's to submission, not to some conquering tyrant. But Jesus says this about himself. He says, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus' very heart, his very essence of his being is gentle and humble. Yes, we do become his servants, but in serving him, we find a perfect freedom. Jesus won't treat us harshly, but he treats us as his children and as his friends. As he reveals the Father to us day by day and gives us fresh purpose uh, in living for him, in relationship with him. In living the way that we were created to live. And as we do come to Jesus for that, what does he say that we'll find? Rest. Deep, lasting rest for our souls, not just our bodies. When you're finally back in the relationship that you were made for, then of course we're at rest. That's what we all desperately want and need, isn't it? And yet we spend a lot of our time searching for it in all the wrong places. Yeah, you can find some rest as you lounge on the beach on a nice holiday. You might find some rest as you take a a dip in the sea or walk up the hills in the snow. You may even find some rest as you finally reach retirement. Only to be lumbered with the grandchildren, that is. I'm joking. And yes, we might find some rest and relaxation over at Lion Key's Luxury Spa. They're not sponsoring this sermon, by the way. But Sue tells me it's really good over there. But in all of those things, wherever you seek for rest, we're never going to truly be at rest until we've come to Jesus. Until we've handed over to him our sorrows, our weariness, and our burden of sin to him. Until we submitted our wills to the one who's proved himself to be the most humble and gentle person that ever walked this earth. The sovereign Lord of heaven and earth became a man. What sheer humility is that? And see in the Gospels how gently he dealt with people as he walked on this earth. And see how humbly he went to the cross for us. And it's a rest that will last. Remember, it's Jesus, the one with all authority, who makes this offer to us. All things have been handed over to him by the Father. Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, This rest, this relationship with him will last forever and it'll only get better. And no wonder Jesus ends with saying that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So will you come to Jesus? Will you heed his call? Will you come and find rest, not just for your body, but for your soul? And if you have come to him already well are you still in submission to him are you still sitting at jesus's feet and learning from him him who is humble and gentle in heart are we living in repentance each day as god shows himself to us more and more in his words but as he also shines a light on ourselves as well jesus says come to me All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.
Amen. Maybe just take a moment's quiet to pray in your own hearts.